You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. It's a classic, of course, people from a lot of languages leaving out articles in English. Why do we say the sidewalk? You can go to church and go to the church. And they have different meanings, in fact. The, the, the article system is substantially complicated. Yeah. And you know what you find with happens with some of these um, issues that are difficult in English, faced with the fact that there's so many non-native speakers of English, is that they are developing their own version of English that uh, kind of runs around some of these difficulties. Today we talk about a familiar language, English, and its place in the world. Dick Feldman, director of the Language Resource Center, discusses how non-native English speakers deal with some of the complexities of the language. Dick, I wonder, is English the most spoken language in the world? Well, in fact, it's not. And thinking about the role of our own language <clears throat> in the world is certainly a part, an important part of thinking about foreign language learning. Some students say sometimes, why should we learn a foreign language when, well, everybody speaks English anyway. So uh, learning more about English and how to navigate it with it in the world is, is, is an important part of being a, an intercultural uh, a being these days. Mm. <clears throat> so, no, uh, English is actually the third largest language by number of native speakers after Mandarin and Spanish. I see. Are there? It seems like there's a, a variety of uh, of English types. I mean, uh, not just dialects, but actual um, uh, completely different approaches to the language. There are all sorts of speakers of English. That's for sure, both among the native speaking population of English, um, and among the um, uh, non-native speaking English population. Uh, those are usually divided um, uh, according to uh, a guy named Katru from the University of Illinois who devised this system into the inner circle of English, the outer circle of English, and what he calls the expanding circle of English. Hmm. <clears throat> so the inner circle are traditional uh, countries that have always had English as their uh vastly majority language. So that's the United States, Great sure. Britain, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, and then the uh, second uh, uh, outer circle are those countries that have adopted English largely from a, a colonial history as their um, uh, official language. So this is, um, or one of their official languages. So this is India as maybe the major uh, largest one. <clears throat> You know, if you ask uh, Indians, what's your native language, many of them will say English. Really? Huh. Yes. And they may or may may not uh, speak one, two, or three other languages. But they can't, many Indians can't remember a time when they didn't, didn't speak English. Hmm. And English has moved into a lot of those languages with what we call, you might call it code switching, but you might just call it borrowing making uh, a lot of uh, inroads into the other languages of, the, of, of South Asia there. Um, 
But anyway, there are an enormous number of second language speakers of English, people who don't speak English um, as their mother tongue, as the first language that they learned, but have learned it later. In fact, there are three times as many uh, second language speakers of English than there are first language speakers of English. Huh. So, you know, who owns English now? Is it our language? Or if you talk about the number of people who use it, it maybe belongs to this group of second language speakers, and they're the ones who are forming it and are moving it in new directions, regardless of where we are, thinking that we're sitting here, well, it's our language. Well, it's our language and that it, we use it, but in the world, it doesn't necessarily belong to us. Well, I've noticed uh, in from a, the technology perspective, just looking at uh, documentation for uh, technical uh, systems or even just programming, uh, English is quite pervasive. And uh, from my perspective, it almost seems like you can pretty much always find somebody to speak English. Is that true? Is this... Uh, is there, is there a, a need to learn another language if everybody speaks English? Well, there's an old saying, uh, if you're buying, you can speak your language. If mm. you're selling, you better speak the language of the people around you. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And maybe when you go to the sales meeting, uh, everybody will be there speaking, their, speaking English as their second or third language. Right. As you go off to dinner, they're not speaking English. Right. And where are you going to be if yeah. you're if you're just a, a monolingual English speaker? Sure. <clears throat> they say uh, somebody who speaks three languages is trilingual. Somebody who speaks two languages is bilingual. Hmm. Somebody who speaks one language is an American. <laughs> that sounds right. But it's funny though. Because, I mean, it seems that English is very difficult. From what I understand, it's very hard to learn. Uh, it's sort of odd, or maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why we only many Americans only speak one language. But is it true that English is hard to understand and speak for a new learner? I mean, you've you've done English as a, a second language certainly for years. Yes. Well, it's kind of hard to say universally that one language is harder than another. When you start with one language as your native language and you address another language you can kind of assess whether that is a difficult language or an easy language. So for an English speaker, it's easier to learn Dutch or German or French than it is to learn Chinese or Japanese because there are, oh, for, for multiple reasons, there, there, there are greater differences, and we, have, we share a lot of history with some languages, of course. Um, there are some things that make English... Uh, 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 difficult. And if you're going to be a second language speaker using English in the world, you it behooves you to be aware of these uh, aspects of English that are dif difficult for non-native speakers. Right. Maybe difficult for them to speak, and it may make it difficult for them to understand you, figuring that, well, you're bo you were born on third base. You uh, s grew up learning English. Right. So there's one example of why English is difficult, or any language really, is that we use culture-specific metaphors in it yeah. that other people may not be familiar with. Right. Uh, as you know, baseball isn't played everywhere in the world, Sure. unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> right. Interesting. Well, so as a teacher, would you, I mean, you, not only have you taught English, of course, you speak other languages, and certainly in our work here, we're dealing with, I mean, all sorts of language um, pedagogy for all different types of languages. So 
I wonder, is it, are there similar issues? Or is it the same approach that you, you, would you take the same approach to teaching English that you think a, um, a German teacher or a, you know, some um, Southeast Asian language teacher might take? Or is it, is it in its own category is what I'm wondering? Are there, mm. are there issues that only English really has to uh, deal with from a pedagogical perspective? Well, the general principles of language teaching mostly apply to any pair of languages, learning and knowing, though to some extent if the two languages are close and there are a lot of cognates, you can work with that in, in significant ways as compared to. So, so teaching a uh, English speaker Spanish or French you you want to show the student how much the student already knows by by illustrating how you can deal with cognates and figure them out and pronounce them uh, correctly. Whereas if you're dealing with uh, teaching English to a, a um, Chinese speaker, there are many fewer cognates. Though I remember somebody telling me quite a few years ago even that there were ten thousand English words used in Japanese. Wow. So there, there's there's a lot of sharing around, but. There are some things about English that um, make it uh, difficult. Not that there aren't things about other languages that make them difficult, too. Sure. But there are some things about English that uh, many uh, English speakers aren't aware of. <clears throat> Just in terms of pronunciation, we do have a couple of hard sounds, sounds that aren't that common uh, in languages around the world and uh, are uh, a little bit difficult. The uh, American English are is one that many people have uh, trouble with. Uh -huh. And the TH sound, think, yeah. is uh, uh, difficult for speakers to pick up. It's often late in their learning career that they uh, le learn those well. Mm. Um, also, there are our uh, system of uh, two-word verbs. So these are something like uh, look up, right. uh, walk around, uh, think out. Uh huh. Uh, get up, uh, things like that. <clears throat> For uh, a speaker of another of a Latin language, there are often um, uh, Latin type equivalents of those. So uh, 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 find out, you have discover, uh -huh. uh, things like that. And um, the two word verbs in English are often are. are confusing in that they some of them have lots of different meanings that we don't realize so if you take the expression make up so you've got makeup mm -hmm. like cosmetics yeah you've got you can make something up right um, and you can make up with somebody so <laughs> there are all these different yeah. uh, uh, meanings yeah. of it sure. that are tricky and often um, non-native speaker teachers of English don't control those, and they often just aren't taught because they are pretty confusing mm -hmm. un until a fairly high level. So if what you want to do is to be understood by non-native speakers, remember we're in a world where there are more non-native speakers than native speakers, right. you might want to limit your use of, of, um, uh, of these two, or two and three word verbs. I see. <clears throat> Another feature of English that is also a little bit unusual in the world and very characteristic of it is its stress and timing system. Mm -hmm. So um, every English word of uh, more than one syllable 
has one stressed syllable, one syllable that is more stressed than the others. And that that syllable gets a stress, gets a beat in the sentence. Right. And if you have a two, three, four syllable word, figuring out which syllable to stress is not at all easy. Hmm. As a native speaker, you almost never think about it. Yeah. We just do it naturally. But it's a, it's a substantially complex system that's quite hard for non-native speakers to, to come to control. Then there's sentence stress, where we have words, each of which has its main stress syllable, but which, by the way, there's secondary stress and tertiary stress also, so oh. even their wow. complexities at that level. Huh. Then there are, in a sentence, there are words that are, in, that are entirely unstressed that we fit in in between and the more of them we have, just the faster we say them, mm. as opposed to giving equal time to them. So here's a here's a little uh, um, exercise kind of that illustrates that from an old uh, English uh, uh, pronunciation textbook I used to use. So I'm going to tap on the table here to show uh -huh. the uh, uh, regular beats of English. So the, the, you start off with a, a stupid sentence like, dogs eat bones. Mm. So there, each word has a regular beat. Right. The dogs eat the bones. Well, there I've added two words, but the timing hasn't changed. I've just slipped those unstressed words in. Uh-huh. The dogs will eat the bones. Will eat the bones. Gets in there. The will eat the. Gets in there in the same amount of time as just the, as just bones or eat. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So we we as we add more unstressed words, we just say them faster. The dogs will have eaten the bones. Oh, interesting. Now you understand will have eaten just fine. Yeah. But that's uh, a lot of the reason why, uh, uh, even though learners often say this, but why uh, some parts of English appears to be very fast mm. because it is. We say these unstressed syllables very very fast to fit them into the regular rhythm of English. So things like prepositions and articles and uh, uh, verb forms um, often just are fit in in between the regular beats. I see. Well, how would that rhythmic analysis apply to, say, like Spanish or like another language that you might speak? I'd be interested to hear the comparison. Well, in, in, in Spanish, you get um, a fairly fast beat for every syllable. Uh -huh. So whereas English is... Da 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 Spanish is da 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 So everyone is is even, and you could say that it's uh uh they're all kind of moderately fast, whereas English has stress syllables that get spread out, and then a bunch of little ones that get stuck in there. I think you can think of a you're being you since you're a musician you're sure. probably thinking of the musical well, equivalents of this exactly i'm thinking you could actually notate this uh would be an interesting project you could yeah yeah, yeah. wow so all those uh things figure in when you're trying to speak to a non-native speaker um i guess uh, something else is the um aspect and article system hmm. um it's a classic of course people from a lot of languages leaving out articles in english or oh, right. putting them in the wrong place, uh, and the. Yeah. And the fact is that's a very complicated system that 
hinges on uh, uh, the understanding and shared consciousness of the two speakers as well as a bunch of cultural stuff. Uh-huh. You know, uh, why do we say the sidewalk? Right. If the means we both know exactly which one it is, uh-huh. why do we say the sidewalk? Yeah. And you can go to church and go to the church, and they have different meanings, in fact. Right. So right. The, the, the article system is substantially complicated. Yeah. And you know what you find with happens with some of these um, issues that are difficult in English, faced with the fact that there's so many non-native speakers of English, is that they are developing their own version of English that uh, kind of runs around some of these difficulties. So, you know, if you're in a conversation with a bunch of Japanese and, and Chinese speakers, you may not hear that many articles. Uh-huh. And the fact is, you can understand each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we, native speakers of English, need that article. When somebody says something like, um, we will bring money tomorrow, mm. does that mean some money we're just mentioning now, or is that the money we were just talking about? Right. We have that question, and we expect it to be answered by an article one way or another. But, you know, that gets figured out in other ways. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> it's work that a uh, that a native English listener has to do to answer that question because we're tuned to always knowing that uh, right. an answer to that question: which is it? Whose is it? Sure. That the articles supply. But my point here is that English native English speakers need to start thinking and using their language in different ways when they're dealing with non-native speakers. <clears throat> So it's kind of a new world for uh, uh, English speakers. And in fact, I think as opposed to thinking, well, I speak the right language, so I don't need to do anything, they need to both experience learning a language and adjusting your thinking to a different language. Yeah, That helps you deal with non-native speakers who are doing that all the time. If you don't know what that experience is, you're not going to empathize with those people. You're not going to uh, understand their, their rhythm and the intensity of work that they're doing to communicate with you. So that's an important, a very, bunch of important issues for sure. uh, native English speakers to think about in this world. Yeah, well, yeah, especially as uh, nowadays where, uh, you know, we're sort of, we're tuned into cultures all over the world uh, in an instant through the internet, you know, we're uh, communicating in way, ways we had never before. Um, and I guess it re really does require uh, a bit of extra sensitivity about what people are um, listening to or what, how they're understanding what we're saying. Right, right. And I would <clears throat> uh, sort of as a summary note here say that I think the experience of learning another language yourself, of adjusting your thinking, of figuring out how to handle the speed of that language, because a foreign language always sounds fast to learners. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, uh, experiencing that, and um, uh, letting, having the experience of letting go of some things we feel we we need to know, like is it, is the verb past or present? Well, in Chinese, you have to figure out whether the event was past or present by other cues than the verb. It's not in the verb form. So that, that gives you a whole perspective on the, on the range of, of thinking and understanding of the world that occurs in different languages. Uh.
The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lukwitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lukwitz. Original music by Sam Lukwitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.